Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Adam from the Back Patio Network. And this is Mike, and I am here, so one might well call me Present Mike. Oh. And, uh, I know, I feel so dirty saying it, but a friend of mine who listens to this podcast was like, I'm shocked you haven't said this joke yet, and I'm like, well now I can't not say it, even though I'm not a fan of puns, I, I had to slip it in there, so shout out to Dan, I know he's listening. That's incredible. I, I love that. Why haven't you said that yet? I'm taking points away from you. Because literally it never occurred to me. I don't think in puns. Uh, I, I, I just don't. That's not how my brain is wired. So It's not one of the feats you took at birth? Correct. It's just yeah. it never once occurred to me. But we were sitting at a baseball game earlier this week, and he said, I'm surprised you haven't said this. And I was just like, dang it, Dan. Now I have to say it. <laughs> That's incredible. I love President Mike. Uh, and I love that he is like... As far as we know, the entire world's voiceover, like he's voiced over everything, even when he hasn't been in situations. I, in fact, I think it was last episode we were watching uh, whenever the kids were doing like the practices for their quirks. And we had mentioned like who voiced that over because President Mike's not even there. Well, I rewatched it with Hannah in between last episode and this episode, and it was definitely President Mike. But was it President Mike who did a voiceover for himself? Oh no, that, that was uh, that was a whole different show. No, that one that one was Aizawa. I'm pretty okay, sure. I think it was Aizawa yeah. too. Yeah, but President Mike was the one that was announcing all of the kids and their quirks and their practicing uh, uh, gotcha. at the campsite. Gotcha, so gotcha. I, I just thought that was funny. I'm like, man, he's not even there, and he just knows what's going on. It is great. It's great. I like to think that maybe all of this has already happened, and what we are seeing is just President Mike retelling it with Midoriya. You know what I mean? I mean. The way that they're narratively framing some elements of the show would lend some credence to that idea with Midoriya talking to us from the, well, from, from our position in the show from the future. Right. I wonder if one day they're going to do like a, uh, a new series where it's following Midoriya after My Hero. Because at the moment, we're hearing the story of how he became the best superhero of all time. I would love to be able to see the follow-up from that. Like, okay, I'm now the number one superhero. What challenges does he face? And who does he hand off one for all to, you know? Yeah, I wonder if there's going to be, like, the final chapter of the manga, the final show of the anime is just uh, Midoriya reading of his exploits out of a book to the kid that he has with, you know, whoever, Ochako, I guess. And whoever, the yeah. whole time it's just been a bedtime story. That would be awesome. <laughs> we get we get Princess Brided. Yeah, that would be great. I, I would enjoy that a lot, I think. All right. Well, let's let's just dive into these yeah, episodes, we, man. We, we we're talking about sometimes. way too many things. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we watched episodes forty three and forty four. Uh they were some great episodes. I mean they forty three picks right up where we've left off with 42, where they're kind of recapping everything that happened with Midoriya and Muscular, uh, and, and they get through that pretty quick, and they go right on to... Uh, I- they go right onto a quick scene here with Kurogiri and Shigaraki, uh, and it's great because Shigaraki's picked back up his video gaming talk, where he's yes. like kind of explaining to Kurogiri that he's just an NPC at the moment, like he's a non-playable character, and he's been thinking about this whole situation with the new villains and the students at USJ and All Might as an RPG. And he feels like they were all level one characters that challenged the big bad end guy at level one. Instead, he's now realizing that this is all a giant simulation. He's the player and everyone else's NPCs. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. And I, I like, I've super loved the return of the video game language. I think there was an episode of ours recently where I was like, I hate that they dropped that shtick because I really liked it. And now it's back. Um, and there's a little bit of a discrepancy between what I uh, read in the subtitled version and what showed up in the manga when he's talking about um, the RPG and running up to the boss. 
Oh, yeah? What's the difference there? So I think in the subtitles it says, up until now, it was an RPG where we all had equipment but challenged the boss at level one. Yeah, he says something like, we've all had decent equipment, but we're level one. Yeah, and it's, it's see, he uses like almost like gamer shorthand in the manga because it says, it's been an RPG up until, uh, up until now with only halfway decent equips. I went and charged <laughs> the final level uh, or the final boss at level one. And I was like, equips? He's even like using gamer slang basically in shorthand, which I liked. I do like that. Well, and this is also kind of another bit here where you realize that they're really after Bakugo to try and turn him, I think. Because if you notice, Shigaraki and Bakugo talk about people the same way. Like, everybody's an NPC to Shigaraki, and Bakugo is 100% sees everybody as sidekicks. So yep. And extras, I think they, and what, yeah. I mean, he's called them a, a host of names, where I think Absolutely. I made the comment that in Bakugo's story, he's the only character. He's not just the main character, he's it. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and it's really interesting, too, because even Shigaraki is going on to talk about how he doesn't care if the villains that he sent to the campsite lose or not. They're just there to make the heroes scared. The fact that they showed up is enough to freak everybody out. And, you know, he also kind of makes this weird mention about Bakugo possibly being oppressed. Like, he's not talking about Bakugo exactly, but he's talking about how there are other oppressed people out in this world that want to be released from that oppression. And he's holding these playing cards that have, like, the UA high students on them. And he's holding Bakugo's card. So, yeah, I don't think he's, I think he is talking about Bakugo exactly. He's just not doing so explicitly. But the implication sure, yeah. is there because he's looking at Bakugo's picture from the, um, from the sports festival where he was all bound and gagged. So it was a very literal oppression uh, visually in that moment for, for Bakugo. Definitely. But yeah, I, I really like the hero or the villains kind of explaining where their minds are at with this, that they're like, listen, they, they, they don't even have to go out there and win. Just the very fact that we're at the same place that they are is really going to shake things up a bit. And I, I like that. I did too. I mean, the fact of the matter is, nobody's supposed to know where they're at. And the fact that they've got seven villains barking up their door is probably, you know, right. it's got to freak them out a little bit. Definitely. But we do switch over to a scene uh, back up on the mountain hillside there with Deku and Koda. And I actually, I've got to give props to Midoriya here because I'm trying to figure out how he's going to get out of this situation. I mean, he's punched muscular. He's, you know, muscular appears to be down for the count. But I didn't know what Midori was going to do. I mean, this dude is, like, totally messed up. His arms are mangled. Like, he can barely move, it looks like. And he makes a, a comment that the whole reason he didn't use his legs was so that way he could get them away. And I'm like, oh, man, that's pretty smart. Like, I, I didn't even think that's what he was trying to do, you know? Yeah, and this is a really touching scene, too. And I think that it's a really challenging scene for Koda because Midoriya basically asks Koda to use his, his water-bendy quirk to put fire out as they progress towards the camp. And he says to Koda, save us the way that you saved me earlier. So Midoriya tells Koda, hey, you saved me, which, which right. in, is a, sh a longer hand form of Midoriya telling Koda that he's a hero. And now he's Absolutely. also saying, use your quirk. So these two things that Koda has had aversions to the entire time that we've known him, or at least known of him in his backstory, he'll have to overcome both his aversion to quirks and his aversion to heroism in order to do what Midoriya needs him to do. And I think he does. I mean, it, the, the fact that they get back to the camp, I think implies that, that he, he does. And so do some things um, yet to come. But did you, did you see like when Midoriya jumps, 
uh, with Coda on his back that Midoriya's arms are like flapping like limp noodles in yeah. like behind him. It was like the grossest looking Naruto run ever, but he was jumping and his arms were like flailing behind him. It was super gross looking. It was totally like one of those uh, like arm flailing tube men, you know, that yeah. people have like out in front of used car salesmen. Wacky whatever. inflatable arm flailing tube guy. Yeah, that guy. Like, it was ridiculous. You're pretty sure at this point that his arms are just, like, soup. Yeah, it's gross. But once we see them moving, making progress, we get some recapitulation where it's, like, five minutes earlier. I think it even says that. It's, like, five minutes earlier, a few minutes earlier, something like this. Yeah. This was one of those episodes where it seemed like every couple of minutes it was like five minutes ago and it yeah. would show another scene of a group of characters. I mean, fact of the matter is all of this is happening at once. I think they did a pretty good job of emphasizing that the entire attack probably takes a total of, what, 30 minutes max? Yeah, and I, I had the same note um, in, in my notes, which is just that idea that they, they have to do this and it creates this sense of... Um, of Oh, shoot. What's the term I'm looking for? It's all happening Peril. at the same time. Um, man, that word just completely eluded me. But anyway, it's it's everything. It's just like, hey, w- all of this stuff is happening contiguously, right? It's all happening at the exact same time. And we have to hit rewind if you're going to catch all the story beats. I think that's how. Cool. Um, and, it, and it works pretty effectively. But we jump to a scene um, that had me ready to quit the show if it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, which is yeah. last week we were about to end on a low note. Oh man. I was so upset. I was like, dude, if this doesn't, if this doesn't pick up here, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. Uh, but last time we left the front of the actual building to the camp, Dobby had just like blasted Aizawa from point blank. Uh, when we returned to this scene, of course, Aizawa, because he's the greatest, and he's a freaking ninja who runs on power lines and is the best hero ever. He's he's jumped out of the way. I should have known. I should have known. Uh, but he's he's safe and is up out of the way and then proceeds to just beat the snot out of Dobby. This is the first time I noticed any kind of similarities, but Aizawa, when he was perched up on the side of the wall escaping from Dobby, reminded me of Spider-Man. And now that I realize with his scarf and, and everything, he's very, like, he moves a lot like Spider-Man. Yeah, he's extremely agile. I mean, that's one of his, yeah. the strengths of his... Um, his his support item, really. I mean, because the the scarf isn't had doesn't have anything to do with his quirk, correct? No, nah, no. Nah, his his quirk, at least as far as we know, his quirk is just getting rid of other quirks. Yeah. Um, which he tries to use on this character that we know is named Dobby, but it doesn't seem like it really works because as he attacks Dobby, he melts into the ground and he realizes, like, oh man, the fire wasn't his quirk, or at least that's what we think. And we get this really quick scene where they switch back over to the villains. And there's this guy in like a black and white latex suit that is 100% has to be based off of Deadpool because everything <laughs> about the guy is Deadpool. Like craziness, I mean, just the weird split kind of personality, like talking to himself. And this guy is making clones of Dobby and sending the clones back to the campsite to distract the main pro heroes. And it's kind of funny, too, because this character is making fun of, of Dobby and like, dude, you, you've been out there for like five minutes. You're totally getting wrecked, man. Yeah. His, his, and this character's name is Twice. Twice, yeah. I, that's what I was just they, about to offer up. Yeah, they didn't uh, They didn't say it, I don't think, but I saw it in the subtitles. He does. Um, does Dobby, he? at least in the subtitled version, says, make another one of me twice. Like, comma, twice. And I'm, uh, I'm already okay, yeah. eagerly awaiting the moment that you call him like thrice instead of twice, because that's something that you would do. <laughs> but it's just yeah. twice. I don't know. He's just going to be MHA Deadpool in my notes from here on. Yeah, out. yeah, he does. I mean, he definitely, I think one of my notes in one of the 
uh, one of these two episodes is like, does he have DID, like dissociative identity disorder? Because a lot of times he'll say something and then say the exact opposite or something very close to the opposite right afterwards. It's very confusing. And it's always in like a deeper or higher pitched voice. Yeah, and it's very manic and fast and he's very high yeah. energy. So I got, yeah, the Deadpool correlation is hard to miss. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if we went to the wiki and looked in his trivia and found that Deadpool was mentioned in there somewhere because somewhere. I mean we've already seen Cyclops and Sugar Man and a bunch of other X Men and Marvel characters ripped off so why not one more? Yeah, that's totally true. Uh, well, shortly after this, we actually get a great scene where Midoriya runs into Aizawa and he is just jabber jawing at Aizawa like he cannot stop talking. Like, hey, uh, I got Koda, I got to talk to Mandalay, I got to get back to the campsite, and Aizawa just says, "Oh my God, he's so full of of testosterone and energy, and like he is just fueled with nothing but." adrenaline and he's gonna fall apart the moment it falls away so he's trying to like calm Midoriya down and he tells him he'll take Koda and Midoriya starts to run off but Aizawa stops him and he's like dude chill out give Mandalay this message and have her use her telepathy to get this to everybody and so Midoriya hands Koda off to him he heads back to the campsite and Midoriya just takes off yeah and he runs back into where the main what I would call I guess the main conflict is taking place between the the members of the Wild Wild Pussycats where, that we actually know where they are. Because one of them is right, missing. So I think it's just Man- Mandalay, Tiger, and then... Pixie uh, Bob. But she's Pixie unconscious. Bob. She's unconscious, and Ragdoll is completely missing at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's gone. Also, I would like to note here that Tiger is a man with a cat-like quirk and is wearing no bell. Right, but does he have a cat-like quirk, or is that just part of his outfit? I, okay, that's fair, because his playa body might not... Well, okay, cat-themed, no quirk. How about that? Because I don't know, are, yeah. his, are his hands paws or are they gloves? On the I women, it was gloves. a lot more pronounced. Yeah, I'm fairly certain they were gloves. But you know what? We're going to go to bokonohiroacademia.fandom.com right now. All right, so we checked out his uh, little character page here on the website that we mentioned quite often. And to be honest, I don't know that it really says much. It doesn't look like that he has like cat quirks i mean they all everyone in this group seem to have the common theme where they're wearing like cat paws and cat tails so i think it's just part of the outfit part of honestly. his get up well still even if it's just a theme a strange one at that none of them are wearing bells yeah well you know what you say that but i'm looking at his picture right now and there's definitely a bell around his what? neck. what sorry to break it to you no have yeah. i been missing this the whole time I think we both have, because I just now noticed it again. Like, it almost looks like a little bow tie. No, I don't believe you. <laughs> I swear, I'm, I'm looking at the picture right now. Oh, my gosh. It does kind of look like he's wearing a bell. So, it's now canon that uh. if you have any kind of cat affinity in My Hero Academia's world, you have to have a cat Man. on. It's, just okay. the, it's the only way you can let people know about I it. I guess. All right. Fair enough. I've, I've, been, uh, I've been silenced. Anyway, they, they roll up on... Tiger uh, and a couple of the other wild, wild pussycats. They're still tangling with Magne and Spinner. Yeah, and I gotta say, Tiger's pretty awesome. Like he's he's keeping up with Magne really well for having no idea what this dude's quirk is. Yeah, I mean they, and so is um, Mandalay. I mean they they yeah. certainly aren't at any disadvantage that we can see. They're at least holding their grounds equally well um, with their I would. Villains. That's a really good way to describe it. I would say they're equally holding their grounds because it doesn't seem like either of them are getting hits on each other at all. Until, of course, Deku comes out of nowhere and smashes uh, Spinner's swords into a billion little pieces. Yeah, and because he's about to bring it down on Mandalay. If anybody was at a disadvantage at any time, it was her right then. Definitely. Uh, when the sword yeah, right was at that down. moment. 
he was definitely Mandalay's hero for all of five seconds. Yeah. Um, and so he he pops in real quick, smashes Spinner's swords, tells her that Coda is safe, and he also says, "Hey, Izawa has a message that you need to tell everybody. Inform Class One A and One B that they need to use their powers. They're in danger. They need to fight back." And this is when stuff really starts to pop off because everyone's quirks are like unleashed. Um, so she also tells everybody like, Hey, they want Bakugo, you know, be on the lookout for him, make sure he's getting taken care of. And we get these quick little flash glimpses of who everyone is dealing with. I mean, they spend like a second on everyone. And since we're going to cover them all, we probably won't go through those. Yeah. Did, uh, so in the English, did she say that they're after Bakugo? No, she said they're after Kachan. Okay. Cause yeah, in the, in the manga and in the, uh, subtitled, she was very confused cause she hadn't heard anybody use that name at all so she's like there's somebody here named what and so she's like yeah. uh whoever kachan is make sure you know the he, uh, the villains are after him so be really really careful that's funny no because there was no confusion and in the english version it seemed like it was so matter of fact and like matter of urgency was just so high she was just repeating whatever that was being said and i think you're kind of supposed to infer that they never stopped fighting these villains either like they were probably fighting for a good minute or two here back and forth, and Midoriya was talking to the, the both of them at the same time. Yeah, and then, so Midoriya is, after he's done his work letting Mandalay what she needs to relay, he starts moving in the uh, woods in the direction of where Bakugo and Todoroki should have been on the trail given their placement, like which when they left the gate basically to start this little exercise. And Magne starts moving, like making a move at him. Uh, presumably to kill him. I think pretty obviously to kill him. But Spinner actually saves Midoriya, the weird lizard stain worshiper guy. And he explains that, you know, Magne's like, but he's on the top of the kill list. And uh, Spinner's like, that is Shigaraki's wish, but stain saved this guy. So in other words, he's a person worthy of being called a hero. So yeah. Spinner totally pulls a stain, like a, a very true um, like emulation of stain in that moment. Uh, I thought it was really cool. It, it definitely gave Spinner a plus one in my mind. Like, he's kind of a cool villain. Yeah, I mean, he's totally, like, he's he's certainly not a bandwagon fan. Like, this guy is committed. He's committed aesthetically, yeah. and he is the one that is espousing Stain's philosophy most vocally out of all of the villains. And, you know, this was also the distraction that they needed to get ahead as well. Like, Midoriya smashing those blades and getting in and, and having these telepath communications with the classroom and everything, it distracts Magni and Spinner. And Tiger and Mandalay are able to get the kind of the up on them. Get the up on them? What does that mean? Get the uh, drop. Thank you. I had the exact. How did I come up with the exact opposite word I needed? <laughs> And Mandalay really gets a drop on him. I mean, she slams him into the ground, and she asks the question that I need to know the answer to, which is, what even is your quirk? Like, I mean, she's kind of making fun of Spinner here in a way, you know? Yeah, we don't know. We, and we don't really see it showcased. I, I assume that maybe some quirks are just, just physical. Like, this guy's quirk is just unfortunate in that he just looks like a lizard. Yeah, like, more than likely. I guess that's a possibility, at least. I don't know. You'd have to be pretty good to handle a sword loosely held together by belts. It's, well, yeah, I guess that's true. But uh, Unless Magne's magnetic powers are what's keeping those together for him, but I doubt it. Yeah. That would seem weird. Maybe we'll find out in a later episode. Maybe. But part of, uh, part I, of the message that Mandalay sends out to everybody is that Kachan is supposed to avoid combat, and then we cut to Bakugo, and he's just like, do you know that that's not going to happen? Even before you see Bakugo's face when he hears this telepathically, transmitted to him you know that bakugo is going to bakugo and there's no way he's not fighting and that's the scene that we jump to right then 
Right. And I think we before we jump right to that, we get a quick moment that I thought was really funny and really kind of shoehorned as well because Midoriya goes off to find Bakugo, like you mentioned, and then it cuts back to Aizawa. And he's like, oh, man, I forgot to tell him to go back to camp. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Like, well, that's convenient, man. It's in the script, man. Midoriya's got to be in the mix. Right, right. Uh, so we transition back over to Bakugo and Todoroki, who are fighting off this villain. And this villain is just attacking them from the air with these like metal-looking swords that are jagging out at all angles. And Todoroki's throwing eyes, trying to keep them safe. And Bakugo is just furious. He's like, how can you tell me to fight and then tell me not to fight? Like, There's no way I'm not going to fight. And even Todoroki is like, dude, like, chill out for a second here. You know, we got to figure out what's going on first. Yeah, and this, this uh, villain, we get kind of like a text splash and we're given his name it's death row convict in parentheses escaped moonfish and his quirk is to somehow like extend his teeth and also their metal somehow so they're like a bunch of a bunch of blades like splicing through the air and he's using them to actually maneuver himself around the uh around the grounds he's really adept at it yeah even Todoroki's like dude this guy's like really good with his quirk so yeah, he, he mentions, like, this guy is moving so quickly through our terrain that I don't know that we can keep up with him. So, and Bakugo just wants to blast a hole in space, and Todoroki is like, don't you get it? I won't be able to see to protect you if you do that. Like, come on, man, work with me here. Yeah, and he's concerned that with a fire behind them already and gas, that another fire is just going to hedge them in that much more. Yeah. Now, Adam and I both did the same thing, and we admitted this uh, to one another off-air, that as soon as we saw Moonfish, the name uh, attributed to this person in this, like, weird spiky it almost looks like penance almost from marvel comics a straight jacket oh yeah, yeah he does look like so he's in a like he's totally wearing a yeah, straight jacket but it's like full body his legs are together and everything it's super weird but anyway um we were like what in the world does moonfish have to do this because we've we've been made aware over and over again of horikoshi's naming schemes for these guys so there had to be something to it so adam why don't you tell him what you found in the trivia section of the wiki Definitely. So I went and checked out the wiki, and uh, it turns out that this guy is ironically named after Lampris gutatus, which is a species of fish that has no teeth at all, which I think is hilarious. Uh, The other bit of information that we saw in the trivia is that he's totally inspired by the Cenobites, which you had mentioned a couple episodes ago, I think, without even looking at his page. Yeah, and I think the Cenobites have names, but I couldn't tell you what they are. I mean, Oh, yeah, they totally do. In fact, this guy's named after, or not named after, but he's based off of one called Chatterer. Like, the Cenobites are really cool. I'm all about the Cenobites. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know that you should be all about the Cenobites, though. That that raises some questions about just you in general. Hellraiser's got to probably be my favorite, like, slasher films. I think those are, the Hellraiser ones are the best. Interesting. Yeah, like, uh, well, you've got uh, Child's Play. I've got Hellraiser, I do. you know? I do. Yeah, I can't. Uh, listen, I'm not faulting you for it. <laughs> uh, so, this Moonfish guy, can you imagine just being out in the middle of a woods and this guy that's in a straight jacket suit is literally gnawing at you from five feet away with his metal teeth? Yeah, it's pretty nuts. It's very cool. It's, it's very well-realized visually, too. Oh, yeah. It's definitely straight up like horror woods. I mean, this is something I would totally want to run into at like one of those haunted uh, uh, corn mazes or something. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, we don't get to see much of this fight um, at this particular moment because then we catch up with Kendo and Tetsu, 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 Tetsu. And this was something that I think you and I both were pretty excited about at the end of last oh, episode sure. because it seemed like Tetsu, Tetsu finally had a fire lit up under his rear end and was ready to do something. And this is what we get to see for... Um, the majority of the rest of this uh, particular episode. And it is quite awesome, I must say. 
It is. It is really, really cool. Uh, Tetsu is going to go fight somebody. I don't think he even cares who he finds. He just wants to kill a villain at this point. Maybe not kill, but because he doesn't seem like, quite like Bakugo. But he definitely wants to like lay some foot to ass to somebody's villainy, villainry. Yeah, he wants to contribute. And, absolutely. And so he's trying to just go off, and Kendo is like, hey, let's think about this. Like, Mendeley... Mandalay put out a telepathic message and didn't mention anything about this gas, so it must not be where she is, which means that it's being contained here, and it's really dense in this certain area, and she's like, I think that if it's a quirk doing this, we could probably find the villain in a more like centralized location where the gas is coming from. And Tetsu was like, you're a genius, let's go do it, because ultimately what I'm hearing is, you need me to run up and punch the guy. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so they... I, I get the feeling I really like Kendo. Like, Kendo and Tetsu seem like they could be a really great uh, couple to follow, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and it was fun seeing him and uh, Kirishima during the internship. You know, these two guys that had similar quirks, and he kind of was fleshed out a little bit just, just in that... Uh, in that moments and those little bits here and there and now he's really coming into his own in this particular scene so they end up running up on the dude who is wearing a gas mask we find out his his name is mustard oh did you find i, I don't feel like they ever said his name in the english version. oh they did well in the subtitled it didn't have a little text blurb Mm-mm. i could have sworn i never saw one and i'm pretty good about writing down names when i see them but i don't feel like i saw one for oh, him well his name is mustard and, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, so he, we have this, before Tetsu Tetsu breaks onto the scene, this villain is able to sense how many people are coming at him and from which direction, even in the midst of this really dense gas. And so he prepares. He actually pulls a stinking gun out of his, uh, the, the front of his coat. And so he just blasts Tetsu right in the face when Tetsu gets the jump on him. Um, but he's a metal man and he's super amped up, so it doesn't stop him for very long. But the, the first shot that the, that villain that Mustard took at him actually breaks his gas mask, which puts um, high tension on the rest of the scene because then you've you're basically on a on a countdown timer, right? How long can you hold your breath and finish this guy off? Which is really cool. Yeah, not only that, but this guy is nonstop shooting right at Tetsu's head. Like, I mean, they're five feet away from each other, and he's just like one bullet right after another. Uh, and in fact, I, I've got listed down at the fourth shot was when Tetsu finally hit the ground and when you could start to see his iron cracking and Mustard actually makes a comment along the lines of like, what, are you having some metal issues mm-hmm. or, or something along the lines of that, you know? Um, now, I got to f- express my frustrations here because, it, and this is just a stupid Adam thing, I guess, but it's one of my favorite things to do. Anytime I watch a movie or a TV show where there's somebody firing off shots, I like to see if they keep up with how many that gun can actually hold. Right. And it's a six shooter, and he shot ten shots. So he shot four over what he should have been able to, and it didn't really make a lot of sense because he was shooting them so quickly back to back. He could not have refilled a six shooter. I don't see. Think. I have the exact opposite note. Really? Yeah, I I said small detail. I appreciate six shots from a revolver, and then he reloads. And because the first shot hits Tetsu, he shoots Tetsu again. The third shot was meant for uh, Kendo, but. Uh, uh, Tetsu Tetsu jumps in front of that. That's three. And I think he takes three more. And then there's that time where M- Mustard has an opportunity to kind of talk. And is, he's like explaining his quirk while he reloads. I thought I counted six, not ten. See, I thought I counted ten total with no reload time. But I could be totally wrong. I mean, fact of the matter is, the dude was in a, a gas mask. and Or not a gas mask, but in a gas-like area, gaseous place. Right. So we couldn't really see, I guess. But... I don't know. Well, in either way, just the fact that to be, I mean, just to be straight up honest, just the fact that he reloaded at all is 
is not nothing it compared to some yeah no definitely some ways that uh certain mediums treat guns in general oh for sure well and it's great too because the moment that kendo gets onto the scene and sees the gun and the fact that he's shooting tetsu she's like look the fact that you've got a gun and a gas mask tells me you can't win this fight on your own and she goes to punch him and he's like oh you stupid girl of course i could see where you're coming from like i just told you that and he steps back and then she expands her hand which i don't think at this point we knew that that was what she could do yeah uh i thought that we had seen her well, quirk once before maybe Maybe in passing, I think we saw her holding some people or something when they were running away from the gas. But when she expands her hand, it hits Mustard and blows him back, and then Tetsu is able to make a surprise sneak attack and just totally decks this dude. Yeah, and begins to dispel the gas, too. Yep. I guess his quirk just ran out. I mean, the moment he went unconscious. Um, now, he was. they made a mention of the fact that he was wearing a school uniform, uh, and I specifically have a note that his school uniform looked different from UA's. They reminded me a lot of uh, Yu Yu Hakusho's school uniforms, and it made me wonder if maybe there are other quirk schools around that this guy could have been at, you know, and just didn't have great tutelage or something. Yeah, and they made it sound like he was much younger than they were anticipating, too. Like, not just yeah, that he like was I from think... a school, but maybe from a, a lower class or a lower... Well, they're the lowest class at the high school level, so maybe they were implying that he was, like, junior higher aged. Maybe, because I think it's uh, Tetsu that makes the mention. Is like, man, this guy looks younger than I do. Yeah. She ends up not smacking, but kind of waving all the gas away, which gives Tetsu Tetsu the opening that he needs, and he just like rocks mustard up under the chin, which blows up his gas mask. And then I just have a note in here that just says, guess mustard doesn't like his own brand, which is just a silly sixth-grade fart joke. <laughs> um, That's great. But they like that. one-hit KO from... Uh, from Tetsu Tetsu. So he does get to contribute. I imagine I think it was cool. I thought it was pretty cool too. I imagine that getting hit by Tetsu Tetsu is like being hit with a steel iron beam yeah. or something, you know, like one of those massive beams that they build towers with. Definitely. And then at the very end of this episode, so we move immediately away from that scene after it resolves. There's not even a, like any discussion, I think, between um, between Kendo and, and Tetsu Tetsu. It's just like, hey, he's knocked out. And then we're back into a scene where Midoriya is running through the woods. He gets snatched up and it's Shoji. And Shoji is like kind of put Midoriya in his arms, kind of like, well, in one arm, kind of like he did at the uh, festival with Mineta and Sue is kind of got him wrapped up. And he's, he's, we find out it was, it was his hand that we saw um, Moonfish standing over earlier. And he's basically telling Midoriya like, yeah, um, so we've got this other thing to deal with, too. And Dark Shadow is freaking going nuts because it's dark outside. And apparently the trauma to Shoji has, like, super upset Tokoyami. And so it looks like Tokoyami is actually being consumed by the Dark Shadow. And it's massive. Like, the, the only other yeah. time that we've seen it, it's been relatively the same size as Tokoyami, maybe slightly bigger at, um, at times. But this thing is, like, colossal compared to any other time that we've seen it. And again... And it's got to be taken up like 60 feet radius. Yeah, and again, it makes it. this looks like a friggin' possession, not like a quirk. It's so weird how yeah. they treat this. Because it's got like... If, I feel like it's encompassing Tokoyami's body, and he's like levitated up in the yeah. air, and he's trying to actively fight off the shadow. So I, it almost makes me wonder if, you know, cause you know, the quirks are derived from people like their parents. It makes me wonder if he has like a long family lineage of maybe like ancestors possessing the quirked ones. And his quirk is the allowing of the possession or something. Maybe. I mean, I like, will say this. 
I, I, I don't want to get nit, nitpicky about Tokoyami in the Dark Shadow because it looks amazing in this scene. Like this. Oh, it looks so this, cool. Like, we don't even get to see it before maybe a couple seconds before this episode ends, but it looks frightening. And I will say this too the manga, actually, Volume 9, kind of spoils this a little bit because. Uh, Tokoyami is, I mean, clearly Tokoyami is uh, on the cover, like engulfed in the dark shadow. It's meant to be like kind of in the background, but it's really hard not to look at. So I was like, oh, I guess we get to see dark shadow do something crazy different this time. Um, So that was a little bit of a bummer. But regardless, we move into episode 44, Roaring Upheaval, and we stay on the scene with Tokoyami and Shoji and Midori to kick things off. No joking. And do you not call it when you say that we get to see something crazy with Dark Shadow? Uh, we've got Shoji and Midoriya who are trying to figure out their best way to handle the situation because Midoriya is wanting to go save Bakugo and he's trying to go find, you know, figure out what's going on with him. And Shoji is explaining, like, look, you were completely devastated and you ran all this way to save your friend. That's what I'm here doing too. And like this whole scene really made me appreciate Shoji. He's kind of been a background character for a while now, but I feel like his true colors really shined in this. Um, and so he tells him, like, hey, look, you know, if you want to go save Bakugo, I get it. Uh, I want to save Tokoyami, so I'll distract him if you will go and save Bakugo. Or you can stay here with me. Like, I'll give you the options. And we cut away from that scene. Uh, and we see, you know, Todoroki and Bakugo, who's fighting Moonfish. And it's, yet again, just attacking them through these ice shields. And this is also when Bakugo is like, let me just blow him up, you know, and Todoroki totally won't let him do it. It's great. Yeah, he's still trying to rein Bakugo in. And Bakugo is getting kind of frustrated uh, just because he likes to be in the midst and in the mix of everything. uh, And he feels like he can't. But Tokoyami, or Tokoyami, um, Todoroki, he's at least able, he's only really using his ice in this fight for fear of uh, exacerbating the forest fire situation as well. So he's he's holding back some. Yeah, and I think he also learned a little bit from when he fought Stain, because Stain consistently made those comments, like when you use your fire, you're blocking your field of vision, and you have no idea where I'm coming from. Right. So he's learned, you know. Definitely, and, and he's being very effective. I mean, he's holding, he's keeping Moonfish at bay, uh, and then you, we come to find out that the answer to Shoji's question, which is, what are you going to do? Which one are you going to go help? Midoriya's answer is both. And so what he does is he gets Shoji to basically sacrifice a bunch of his duplet arms, which I don't, I don't think we had said this, but Shoji takes a second to explain to Midoriya that when he creates duplicate appendages that uh, as, like they can be cut off and he can regrow them no problem. It's as very- long as they're not like his his main arms, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it seemed very Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z to me, or even almost like a plant, like, cause you can cut plants and clone them a lot of them anyways. Yeah. So it kind of reminded me of a plant. Well, it's cool though, because Midoriya hears like understands this about Shoji's power for the first time, presumably in the woods right here. And then immediately comes up with a plan that utilizes that particular aspect of Shoji's quirk, which is very, very cool. And again, continues that Midoriya is very tactical and smart. And uh, I, I have said from episode one, I appreciate that aspect of who he is and that yeah. characterization of him. So they, what, if, what they've got him doing is Shoji is running again with Midoriya kind of wrapped up in one of his little like arm things, piggyback almost. It's almost like a papoose that Midoriya is in. It's, um, it's totally a papoose. It's like a Shoji papoose. If they yeah. don't have Shoji backpacks out there, I would be totally surprised. I wouldn't be, but they, sh- they should exist. I'm with you <laughs> on that. Um, so Shoji is just creating these duplicate arms and making all this noise. Dark Shadow is just tearing off uh, after them. And they bring Dark Shadow right to Todoroki and Bakugo. And um, 
Dark Shadow immediately just wrecks Moonfish. I mean, just destroys him in one hit. It was incredible. Yeah, like slams him in the ground and then throws him at a tree. It was incredible. I think he even trash talks him. I think he says calls him small fry or some such. I think he does right too. Right before yeah. he just bodies this guy. And then I have a I have a note in here as well where like whenever they show up on scene, they're explaining to Todoroki and Bakugo that they need light. They're like, guys, light up the skies. We got to get Dark Shadow under control. And Bakugo is like, no, hold on a second. Hold on yeah, a second. Yeah, hold give on Dark a Shadow a second to handle this. <laughs> yeah. Handle this for us. And so I have a note that just says that Bakugo should totally try out for combat, a Mortal Kombat announcer, because I think he finally just says, "Finish him." <laughs> yeah. So, but as soon as Moonfish is taken out of the equation, they do both Todoroki and Bakugo use their powers to um, kind of subdue Dark Shadow or cause it to retreat back inside of Tokoyami, and of course. Uh, Bakugo takes this opportunity to remind uh, Tokoyami that Bakugo is the worst possible possible matchup power for power against Tokoyami. He's like, yeah, my quirk just beats yours like rock beats scissors every time. Yeah, doesn't he call him Bird Boy or Bird Brains or something like that here? I I feel like in the English version he called him uh, Bird Boy or something. Yeah, yeah, I've got a note. It says, once again, I'm terrible matchup for you, Bird Boy. Uh, see, not in the manga, he doesn't insult him at all, which is very not Bakugo. Yeah, but. I feel like in the English version, they make a point of ensuring that Bakugo uses the worst possible insults for people, too. <laughs> but they don't call him half and half bastard in the English, and they do in the Japanese, and it's that's the best. Ah, that's pretty good, yeah. So they, they end up, the these guys are all together now, Shoji, Tokoyami, Todoroki, Bakugo, and they're like, hey. And Todoroki has to- some random dude on his back. Like, I don't know if he's a 1B classmate or what. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. I forgot that but he's been, uh, Todoroki was escorting somebody. He's been, he's been unconscious the whole time. The entire time, like a completely worthless 1B character. Yeah, uh, literal fodder uh, <laughs> is what you might yeah. It's just cannon fodder. It's in there just to slow to- uh, Todoroki down. Exactly. They come up with this plan. They're like, we need to get Bakugo back to base. Bakugo is not going to like this escort mission idea. It's just the note that I have here. Well, what um, I love is the fact that the whole time they're discussing this, they're t- coming up with a game plan to get back to the base, and he's standing in the background looking at them like, what are you guys... I'm I'm right here. What are you talking about? Like, we're yeah. not doing this, you know? And then they're just like, all right, we're going. Come on. And they just take off. Like, he just has this dumbfounded, idiotic, like, wait, What? But at the same time, so it's a good plan, and Midoriya even says something along the lines of, with this group, I think we could even go toe-to-toe with All Might. Yeah, I have a um, comment that just says, insert doubt. Yeah, okay. But I, I did like this. Like, Bakugo's constantly saying, like, as they're moving towards the camp as an objective, he's like, don't protect me, don't tell me what to do, as he does exactly what he's told to do and follows in the middle. So Bakugo is kind of like, there, there, and this has happened before, where he's very vocal about, you know, you're not my, you're not the boss of me, but he's still very much a team player. He just has to like vocalize how he feels, if that makes sense. Totally, he's the guy that wants to be the leader, but doesn't want to have to tell everyone else, like, doesn't want to have to actually lead everybody else. He wants to be the lone wolf. You know what I mean? Right. So we get another recapitulation, and we catch up with Ochako and Sue, who, when we last left them, um, had just noticed that Toga had come upon them. Yeah, and Toga is one messed up chick, man. Like, she's trying to steal blood from these two chicks, and, and she's talking to them super creepy. Uh, and it's weird, because Toga knows who both of them are. Like, I, I mean, I know that they probably have, like, a kill list and everything, and they've got pictures of these kids, but Toga just, like, the way she talks to them is like she's been best friends with them forever. Uh, and it's really strange 
So she's she's uh, trying to attack a Chaco. Sue grabs a Chaco and is like trying to throw her kind of out of the way. And then Sue's tongue gets cut. Uh, and it, it's really, really odd because we've got this weird scene where Toga has has basically pinned Sue up against a tree and she has tried to attack Achako, but Achako uses the gunhead martial arts that she's learned to pin Toga to the ground. And she just starts talking to, to Achako about how she loves Deku and how she's like, oh, you know, you smell just like me. Like, you probably love somebody and you want to be that somebody. Life. And yeah, it's creepy, man. And then she stabs Achako with some sort of, it seems like a big needle that she's using to suck blood out of her. Right. And do, you says, think, do you think that she has some sort of blood quirk? I mean, we know that she is obsessed with Hero Killer Stain, but she hasn't, as far as we can tell, it doesn't seem like she's really exhibited her quirk here. Yeah, I think I posited the first time that we saw her, like kind of in little quick cut scenes, that I think her quirk is blood related. I still think that. However, some of the language that she uses in this scene could also not necessarily be evidence for her having a blood related quirk so much as her having like a legitimate blood fetish yeah. because she says something like, I like people who are beat up and smell like blood. That's why I always end up cutting them up. So it could be a fetish, but I would be shocked if it wasn't tied to her quirk somehow. And we still don't get to see that. Um, even, I mean, we're going to jump ahead a little bit here, but even at the end of the scene, when she's running off, Achaka's like, well, we don't even know what her quirk is. And I'm like, yeah, us either. We kind of want to know. I want to know what she does. Yeah, and I think it's actually really great that Sue is, yet again, kind of like the perfect sidekick here. Like, she's able to take over the moment she needs to to try and help Achako out. But at the same time, she's also kind of the one calling the shots. You know, like, she's she's helping Achako get through the situation in a perfect support role. And I love that about Sue. So shortly after Toga is able to get a little bit of blood, Midoriya and the rest of the guys show up and she runs off into the woods and she's just like, all right, there's way too many people here. I don't want to die. Even if I, I think she might mention here, even if I don't have what I need, I'm not sticking around. And right. later on, we see an, a scene where she shows back up to talk to Dobby and he asks her like, hey, have you gotten all the blood? And she says, no, I only got one vial. And he mentions like, oh, well, you were supposed to get at least three. So I have a note that makes me wonder if they're trying to use this blood to like clone their powers or if they're trying to use this blood to like turn them into Nomus or something. Like not turn them into Nomus, but maybe that's how they're getting this like quirk DNA to put into these Nomus. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, and I wondered the same thing, but I, I, up to that point in the anime and in the manga, I never got the sense or the suspicion that the Nomus were were bestowed their powers like via blood at all, yeah, so had, much as by whatever All for One's power is. That's kind of my inclination as well. I kind of had the same thoughts. I guess I was just trying to figure out what they would need random blood from random people from. You know what I mean? Like that because it doesn't seem like they have any objective other than just get blood from people. Like it doesn't even have to be these people. Just get some blood from these students. So I'm sure we'll find out in another episode. I just while we were talking about Toga, I wanted to bring that up because it felt. It felt weird to me. That whole scene is so cryptic. What if um what if all for one's power just needs it just requires some measure of genetic material from which he can draw the quirk? Possibly. I mean, so maybe that would, that's what she's collecting the blood for. But it would they make also sense. didn't make it sound like she had to get three specific people's bloods either. It's not like, oh, which one did you get, and why didn't you get these other three by name? Right. You know? yeah. So I don't, I didn't get discrimination from that. Me either, necessarily. And it, you know, your point actually makes a lot of sense because we know that that's how All Might's quirk travels is through DNA, and we know that One for All started with All for One. So 
maybe it does have something to do with that. There's this really um, comical scene too with when Toga runs off, and they're like, "All right, so we're we're protecting Bakugo, right?" And one one of the girls is like, "All right, so then wh- where where is he then?" Yeah, poor like, Sue where, is where, just where, like, "If you're protecting him, shouldn't he be yeah. with you?" <laughs> where is Bakugo? Um, and I was like, "Man, could you imagine if the, like this episode just ended right there? That would have been trippy." That um, this, in my opinion, is where they should have ended it. Right there? Yeah. With, yeah. With Oh, that would have been a heck of a cliffhanger for sure. It would have been, but I didn't like the ending to this episode, so. Yeah, it, it's a little funky. I mean, it's a little disheartening. I mean, it feels like, well, well, we'll talk about it in a second. So anyway, they look back, and it's not just Bakugo that's gone, because Tokoyami is missing as well. So they lost the two guys who were kind of bringing up the rear this, I was going to say Vanguard, but that, that term is already in use. It's already on the field. Um, so this little group, this squad... Uh, trying to make their way back to the camp. And they look back, and there's this guy who kind of looks like um, Rorschach from uh, The Watchmen floating up in the air. I've got Guy Fawkes from uh, uh, V for Vendetta. Okay, yeah, I'll give that to you. Yeah. And we find out that his name is Mr. Compress. Yeah, he's kind of a cool character. And he starts talking... Yeah, I I think we'll get a little bit more time to talk about his, his quirk in a second, but I really like that he starts talking about Bakugo here. And he's like, this kind of talent, referring to Bakugo, doesn't belong on the hero side. So we're going to take him to a stage where he can shine even more. And then he's basically just like, man, I took Tokoyami because why not? You know? Yeah. And he mentions something along the lines of like, I mean, ultimately, we want our destinies to match our morals, don't we? And I thought that was pretty like heavy. Because, I mean, as far as these villains are concerned, the only thing they've really seen is Bakugo being villainous. Correct. That's that's kind of most of what we've seen too, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> or at least, or at least acting, yeah, a little villainous, if I'm, not being a villain. I'm still on my kick that he's not going to break bad, though. Yeah, I mean, if he was going to, this is his opportunity. It certainly is. So we get this scene with uh, Mr. Compress running away and Todoroki doing some awesome ice tricks here. I mean, he's like blasting ice hundreds of feet up into the air. And of course, this guy is like a magician almost. I mean, he was able to compress Bakugo and Tokoyami into these little like blue marbles. And he's kind of poking fun at the heroes like, oh, you're trying to attack me and that's great, but escapes are my forte, you know. And so he's able to get away and Midoriya and everybody's running after them as quickly as they can. But they just I mean, this guy is just fast. Uh, it's it's pretty crazy how quick that he is. Yeah, they they don't they're not going to catch him. Is no. what they uh, at least not very easily, and certainly not um, in this particular moment because we catch up to twice and Dobby um, because Mister Compress has kind of told everybody, all right, hey, listen, we got we got the thing, let's get out of here. Yep, they're, they got to so meet up all, for that final blow. They say. Yeah, yeah, they're going, they're going to go, you know, wherever they set their rendezvous point. So Dobby and Twice are making their way in that direction. And Twice just like offhandedly is like, hey, um, don't you need to, that, that Nomu thing? Don't you need to like call it back or whatnot? And so we find out that uh, they've got a Nomu like in the field somewhere. And it only, they had a Nomu the whole time. And it only responds to Dobby's voice. Yeah. And... So Dobby, is this where... This is where Aoyama is like hiding in the bushes behind there. And he's freaking out because he's like, all right, I'm all alone. All of the other heroes are fighting. Like all of the other students are fighting. Should I fight? No, I shouldn't fight. Like what can I do? And and then Dobby and Twice are walking right down the road and he peeks his head around and Dobby sees him and he's like, oh God, like shaking in his boots. 
And uh, that's when Dobby brings up yeah, the fact that he has to right. call back the Nomu. And it's kind of funny, too, because he's no, like nonchalant about this Nomu thing. Like, hey, Dobby, you know, there's that Nomu out there. You should probably call him back now. And he's like, oh, yeah, that thing. Like, he totally forgot about it. He even makes a point of saying, like, yeah, you're the whole reason I remembered him because you brought him up a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I don't know how you could forget about this Nomu because oh, this Nomu is amazing looking. His design is so cool is. and absolutely terrifying. Yeah, this has been the coolest Nomu that we've seen yet. This Nomu actually reminds me a lot of a, a Digimon named Kuagamon. I think that's how you say his name, Kuagamon. And he looks like a kind of like this big insect-like creature with all these like arms coming out of the back of him. And it reminded me of the Nomu just because of his head. Like they've got the same color scheme kind of. Well, if you think that that's how you say his name, then that certainly isn't. No, but I have not. to take your word on everything because I'm not super familiar with Digimon at all. But he's got like power tools. He's bristling with power tools. So he's got like chainsaws and power drills. And he's, he even has just like a standard old hammer, except it's super big. And he's chasing down somebody, a character that we haven't met. Awase is his name? Awase. Awase. Or, yeah, Awase. And he's carrying Momo, who is on the verge of unconsciousness. Um, and, they, I mean, they are running for their lives because Awase's quirk doesn't seem to be terribly offensive. Um, it's it's It lets him, like, fuse things together is what we find out. Yeah, and it looks like he's actually fused to Momo there for a little bit because he's barely yeah. able to even keep her up. She's totally KO'd right now. Yeah, he's like fused their arms together so that he can run, um, which is a task in and of itself, but he's he's doing what they can. And in the manga, I don't remember this being in the anime, and you have a sharper memory for some of the stuff that takes place in the anime. Did So in the manga, the Nomu is holding something in one of his hands, like in one of his non-power tooly hands. Was he holding something in the anime? I don't think so. At least if he is, I don't have it noted. And I mean, you've seen my notes. I take some pretty comprehensive notes. So in the manga, he's holding one of the little ear-shaped things that all of the wild, wild pussycats wear. Oh, wow. Really? Do you think that Nomu got uh, Ragdoll? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he's responsible for whatever happened to Ragdoll. And it's what what gets even weirder is it speaks and it says, It'll Kitty. Like oh, little kitty crazy. only minus the L. Yeah, because he doesn't speak you know, in like, he doesn't speak at all in, in the show. Uh, the only notes that I had on the Nomu is it made me think that whatever this original dude's quirk was probably would have been perfect for Ochako's family's company because she works for like a, a, oh, a construction yeah. company. That's pretty good. It makes me hey, wonder. Maybe I was gonna say maybe they s- like stole or kidnapped this guy away from that construction company. You know? Have you ever seen Shaun of the Dead? Oh God, yeah, I love that movie. That's one of my favorites. Okay. So you saying that this guy, his quirk would have been good for Ochako's family. And I thought, why can't it be good in the future? So follow me on, on this. <laughs> okay. In Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> all of the zombies are bad guys, but they get rehabilitated and reintroduced into society. What if when all this villain stuff calms back down and, and the dust settles, the Nomus are able to be reintroduced, re- rehabilitated, and put to work. Oh, that's interesting. But see, the problem with that, I feel like, is the fact that the Nomus have, like, voice-activated commands. I mean, at this point, they're basically just giant slaves. Like, they're quirk slaves. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes it even more perfect. Oh. Apparently, the control of the Nomus can be passed from one person to another. So you just somehow figure out how that programming works, and you make Mr. and Mrs. Ochako the people who can speak a word of command and the Nomu just does it. That's perfect. But isn't that, I mean, that's, that's like, that's like slavery. That's not cool. 
what else? What are you going to do? Put them down? That would be literally uh, yeah, genocide. That's true. I mean, because there's, <laughs> there's people, only a handful like, of these things. If you can't fix those people, what do you do with them? How do you? Uh, that's a really good question. And it's now, either that, or they sit in a cell doing nothing and die of like starvation and dehydration. I that's guess true. because they're because they're not activated. But you could at least attempt to put them to good use because they are absolutely and perfectly submissive. So as far as we know, I have two thoughts of this. First thought: Do you remember the old Will Smith movie? And it's also an older book that is way better than the movie. Uh, I Robot. Oh yeah. Okay, so there's the scene where one of the robots is like running to the lady with her purse, and Will Smith tackles him because he thinks the robot's stolen the per- purse. But he, right. the the robot just wanted to get the lady like her um her her uh, oh I used one of these. Why do I not know what it's called? Inhaler. And so it turns out the robot's trying to help. I'm just imagining the scene where like Midoriya is ten years later in the future, and the villains have been cleaned up, Nobu's have been rehabilitated, and he sees this uh, Nobu yeah. like running with a purse and like decimates him and gets in all this trouble because the Nobu was trying to like deliver an inhaler or something, you know? Yeah. Or even be better funny. yet, can you imagine like all of the political debates that would happen where like you know Ochako's parents don't want to pay the Nobu's because well they're going to do it anyways. You know what I mean? Nope. No mood lives matter. Exactly. Yeah, it would get pretty pretty crazy, I think. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it would be an easy thing or a non-controversial thing. I'm just I'm just winging things and try, and getting off topic, which we probably shouldn't do. We're almost uh, done. Well, almost we have done. a lot of fun when we're off topic though. <laughs> we do. We do. So um, we we get this last scene here real quick where Momu kind of comes to and she's trying to think of anything she can do to help. Like what what can we do here because all we say is literally praying. He's like, "All right, we're about to die. So whatever you got, bring it, baby." And Momo creates this little device, and right as she creates it, the Nomu just turns around and like walks off, like totally forgets about them. And I guess it's probably because Dobby has called the Nomu back. Uh, but she has this little vi- device that she gives to Awase, who goes and puts it on the back of the Nomu. And then he's like, "All right, it's attached. That thing's not going anywhere. Let's like deuces. Let's get out of here." Uh, and we find out later that it's a tracking beacon, and which I think was probably pretty obvious at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed fairly obvious, and it's a really smart application of her power, too. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Like, the, if she could have done anything, it was that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a cool combo move that was non-combat and was super, super effective. So there's a lot to be appreciated about that. Definitely. So we get back to the main combat where we see Magni and Spinner, and they've been captured by Mandalay and Tiger. Uh, and Spinner is actually kind of freaking out. And, you know, it, it's great because Mandalay is arresting him. She's asking him uh, about all of his... I think this is actually the scene where she asks him about his quirk. I might have gotten that mixed up earlier. Uh, but Yeah, this is it. Spinner is mm-hmm. just going on and on about how Stain's will will prevail. Like, I am the living embodiment of Stain. And, you know, I just thought that was great. Uh, and then Kuragiri shows up and apparently takes the two villains to safety. I mean, it immediately cuts away. Kuragiri shows up and you could assume that those two villains get away, I guess. Yeah, because the next time we see him, he's uh, he's about to round up the other ones. Right. But that, that doesn't happen immediately here. We kind of cut away from that scene, like you're saying, back to uh, the hot pursuit of Mr. Compress. But for some reason, so they, they start to, they're like, we're never going to catch this guy. We got to do something. So Midoriya comes up with this plan where Ochaka is going to make him and Shoji and Todoroki light and then throw, uh, Sue's going to throw him. But, uh, uh, Ochako's all uh, she's concerned about Midori's arms so they're frantically chasing down Mr. Compress but they do have time to stop and splint Midori's arms and quite effectively too and without Momo like if Momo was there I'd be like mm, okay maybe but they stop running 
to uh, put a splint on both of Midoriya's arms. And I was like, there's no way you're catching him now. <laughs> like in real time, that was a, that was a poor decision. Yeah. <laughs> but they, uh, they do, they get Midori's arm splinted and they do this really cool thing where um, they, uh, they, they do exactly like I said. And there's even this really cool touch in the anime in particular. I don't remember if it was in the manga, but when Sue goes and throws them, there's actually a little bit of a like flash of blood because of the cut on her tongue from earlier in, in the anime. They included that little detail and I really liked it. I was like, oh, so her tongue is still cut. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was really cool, especially since I think whenever the... Especially since whenever Toga cut her tongue, Ochako asks her, like, is your tongue okay? And she goes, yeah, it'll heal up soon. So I think they're doing that just to show you that this has only been maybe a minute or two later. Like, the moment that Sue got cut couldn't have been longer than four or five minutes ago. Right. It's, they did a great job with the timeline for these few episodes, it felt like. Yes, it is very well stitched together and presented in a way that wasn't confusing. Like a lot of television shows and movies that jump have a bunch of like time jumps, even even small ones like these, because you're only talking about five minutes here or there, forwards or backwards. Um, but still, it was very easy to follow. Yeah, they line and, up so well, you know? Yeah, and it made everything feel very frantic. Um, because you, you, nobody gets to catch their breath in these episodes. It's all happening simultaneously. I think that's the word that I was looking for earlier, but I'm a moron. Um, that's so okay. it's you, all happening you could have simultaneously. Just, you could have made one up. I would have been okay with it. I'm sure, but I don't, <laughs> I don't want Celis to start to, uh, you know, a second list just for me. So, um, so this episode just ends with the, the boys dropping in, um, and, crash landing on top of compress right at the feet of twice and Dobby. And I think Toga's there too. Yeah. Toga was there. Cause this is when Dobby's kind of upset that Toga's only gotten one person's blood and she was supposed to have gotten more than that. And this is also when Toga mentions that she's in love with Midoriya. Yeah. Yeah, she does. So yeah. And Mr. Compress just crashes down right in front of them and then it ends. And I don't know. I, I didn't care for the, where it has ended at. Like I, I don't, I feel like this is going to be an obvious lead up to a big battle that's going to resolve everything. And I, I liked the cliffhanger of Bakugo just being missing earlier. Like that felt like such a good cliffhanger. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. But at the same time, I like the fact that I know with very like with, with high confidence that the beginning of episode 45 is going to be, fists flying and i i like that too where it's just like whenever i sit down and watch this next episode it's going to be high octane action immediately yeah that's true i'm interested in seeing if bakugo gets away man like bakugo and tokoyami those two could be in a seriously uh seriously bad world of hurt in the league of villains hands yeah i mean tokoyami for sure i don't know what they would do with him i can i mean Uh, i feel like they could convince dark shadow he seems to have a mind of his own like well, it, yeah, when he's like out of control and doesn't give two two craps about anybody. Yeah, but it seems like it would be really easy for them to get someone with a quirk to basically make Tokoyami's body brainless and then just have Dark Shadow completely control him. That's true. Or put or if if and this is just an if, but if Tokoyami's uh, Dark Shadow actually is his quirk and not a possession, then one for all could conceivably put it inside of a Nomu, and maybe that would give it a higher degree of of um, um, controllability. Maybe. Oh, there, perfect. That might be a word. Perfect team up. <laughs> uh, can you imagine Kurogiri's powers? Like, I, I don't know that his powers work this way, right? But he's got the warping powers. If he could create uh, like an in-between that is complete darkness that Dark Shadow could live in, and then he could create portals for him to attack out of, it would be the perfect oh. setup. 
That would be interesting. Yeah, that man, that would be crazy. Now I want to see. Uh, I want to see those two powers splice together. Well, we do. I, I mean, I suspect that their plan with Bakugo is now's your chance to just do you for real and give him an opportunity to to play nice with the bad guys and allow you know kind of take the collar off and loosen up his reins or at least invite him to do that and just be like, all right, man no no restraints you do what you want to when you want to and this is this is what the life of a bad guy is like give it a taste and yeah. see see what he does see i don't want that to happen and my main reason for that is just because it just feels like a rehash of season 1 of naruto like let's have the main With character sasuke yeah. was it sasuke sasuke getting captured by the the uh what's his name orochimaru orochimaru like it's it would be no different at this point than orochimaru being shigaraki and sasuke and katsuke i mean who literally have almost identical names being captured yeah, and then just like shoehorned into this villainous position and so i, I don't know I, that feels overused in tv shows i don't want that to happen you know i'll grant you that i'm i'm curious to see where it goes uh, it certainly has my attention because I do know that, I mean, Bakugo is in the villain's possession. F- villains, you know, they, they can be persuasive in more ways than one. They might not just use their words. And who knows? There there could be any number of, like, brainwashing quirks. I mean, oh, yeah. we've seen similar things before. What if they manage to flip him and then part of this season is like, Oh, Bakugo versus uh, Midoriya, but this time there's no holds barred, and one of them is absolutely trying to kill the other one. Oh, that'd um, be cool. So. And then we could get like the redemption saga after that. Yeah, and I said in one of our earlier episodes, I, I think he's still going to break bad. However, when he does, or if he does, there will absolutely be a redemptive arc for him. He's too big of a character for them to just... It, it's just like playing D&D. Like, if you have a character... Um, that, you know, that you've invested in when they, when they go evil, like you, you lose control of that person. I don't think they do that. Like a main character in a show like this, if they, if they go bad, like Vegeta, when he goes Majin, right. Even though he does retain some measure of control, but it's still like he, he doesn't just stay bad. Yeah. I don't think that that would happen. I mean, this, they love to leave it out for their villains or their, their broken villains. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, we don't even know that they're gonna get taken. I mean, I don't. I don't see Midoriya getting out of this one because I feel like, like if they get out of this, then what's the next storyline? You know what I mean? Uh, but we'll see next week, I guess. We will. It'll be an exciting couple of episodes. So next week we are going to be watching episode forty-five with what a twist in episode forty-six from Ida to Midoriya. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's been a good one. All right, we'll catch you guys next week. is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at almightypod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.